Hello and welcome back to the Annex Pod. My name is Nicholas Santillo and just give you a little short intro before this epic long uh, discussion between Zach T.A. and myself, old friend, former roommate. Uh, we were trying to take a little bit of our vitriolic online chat discussions that we were falling into and turn them into a more um, civil face-to-face discourse. So today we talk about uh, Djokovic, the number one ranked uh, male tennis player and his uh, saga around um, the Australian Open, and hopefully we'll be doing a little bit more of this to come, having uh, some regular chats between uh, myself and Zach, just talking sports, talking culture, and uh, you know, trying to avoid the um, antagonism uh, that befalls most people online these days. So you know, enjoy. You're right. It's been a minute since we've done one of these. Yeah. Welcome back, Zach. Welcome welcome back to the Annex Podcast. Yeah. Um, welcome back. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to have you on because, you know, we are or were members of many. We are members of still many a group chat uh, in the Annex Podcasting Network or the Annex Group Chat Network. Um for any of you who don't know, because I, I doubt anyone will be listening to this, but for <laughs> anyone who doesn't know, we have we started with a group chat for for basketball, and that expanded into other sports such as baseball and hockey. Are there? There's a f- sweet sweet fantasy football chat. Yeah. For the fantasy footballers of the group, um, then that continued to expand into like a general group chat, uh, and then and then there's a politics chat there was a covid chat that started at the beginning of the pandemic um what else we have a we have a small investors chat um we have a ornithologists chat for bird lovers yeah yeah we have a char dogs chat we have a char uh, dog led by resident anton strasberg um for the lovers of uh, toronto char dog culture we have a lot of group chats we have a lot um but but recently, I've also left a couple. I left pundits and COVID demiologists. Total respect. It's probably um, for the. It's good for the mental health. Yeah, largely for the mental health, but also because we ended up just getting in. Specifically, the two of us would often just get in these like very long back and forths that uh, I don't think texting really helped communicate with. Which I thought like we could actually get. We could actually kind of release some of this uh, discussion energy through like just actually talking about it as opposed to just texting each other and like not really understanding. Fully agreed. Yeah, it's it's better to sometimes talk about issues. Mm-hmm. And like and 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 we're old friends that we we don't always necessarily fully agree, and you don't need to always agree on everything. Um, but when you're talking, you can actually. Uh, how do you say it? Not just like hate each other like you do on text. <laughs> yeah. So easy online to just like lose your mind like on Twitter or, or anything else. Yeah, when you're sitting in a basement. Well, I don't really live. I technically live in a basement, but in reality, I know when you're sitting in, in an apartment <laughs> by yourself and there's no context and you're staring at screens all day. Yeah, and just typing into your phone. You know, rage typing. It's It's not a healthy format. Advisors and pandemic, you know, actual conversations with people, much better than uh, uh, rage typing, 
with friends. Yeah, so let that be a, let that be a call to everyone <laughs> listening. You know, conversations with friends is much better than just rage typing. Um, so yeah, so like I I guess I I want to start like a little bit of a weekly chat. Like we're gonna see if we can get that done, um, where we can like get uh, these topics that uh, are on our minds. Um, I'm I'm assuming it's gonna be mainly sports and pop culture. So. You know, everyone at the ringer, look out. You know, this is the new <laughs> sports and pop culture conversation that you're going to have to keep up to par with. Um, yeah. But so uh, I think the most important thing, if we just jump right in, we have not prepared for this, if anyone isn't uh, guessed that by now. Um, but the thing that I think is most interesting for me to jump off is, uh, <laughs> I should have prepared how to say his name, Novak Djokovic. You got it. That is exactly how you pronounce it. Nice, nice. And this isn't um, this isn't the the Joker from the NBA. This is the uh, top ranked tennis player in the world. The equivalent to almost the uh, Michael Jordan of NBA. Okay, so that's comparison. that's a great place to start because I am not a tennis player, Zach. You are a massive tennis uh, fan. Yeah, I'm coming off of like four hours of sleep because I decided to watch tennis. Okay, they, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. First of all, why don't we just take a little sidebar and say, how are the Canadians doing right now? Uh, they're doing well. They're doing well. Uh, Chapo or Shapovalov. Well, El Chapo you know. was playing in tennis. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually some. That's somebody. You know, some people give him that nickname. Uh, won oh, wow. an impressive match against a big server. He's off to the third round. And Fe- FAA, or Felix Auger Olesim, a French-Canadian, is also off to the third round. Wow. So they're doing well. Okay. Um, Don't you know, we have... A, are women playing in the Australian Open? Unfortunately, one woman was a qualifier, so she lost in the first round. Our Hope, mm. who got to the U.S. Open finals last year crashed out in the first round so that's a very disappointing round our women aren't as strong because bianca who won the u.s open is on a bit of a mental health injury recovery leave she uh, was very open about her mental health struggles uh i think either her dad died or was going through some issues and she just Mm. needed time off and she's very sick with covid um and she just needed time away from the sport respect of course of course uh, we're, we're not going to get into the mental health time off no. maybe maybe we'll, we'll wrap back around to that let me just make a note but um yeah you know obviously the big fiasco is this whole Djokovic thing uh and the you know, yeah, but before we, I want to like this is for me largely. Sorry to get like to to derail you yeah. on the on ramp here, but I'm actually not a tennis fan. So like you said, he's the Michael Jordan of tennis. Like who is this guy? Like I literally I don't know who he is until this story came up. So he there's three people tied for the most majors. Mm-hmm. Um, besides getting into all the po- political issues with him, just his on court achievements. That's what we let's start with that. So um, we can kind of start with why is he being he's talked about? He's younger than Federer and Nadal. Okay, and those two, guys are kind of in the end of their zenith, very so. end. Federer's yeah. the oldest. He hasn't. The last tournament he played was Wimbledon. He crashed out in the semis. He's clearly injured. He's probably not. He, you know, he can't play because he had two or three knee surgeries recently. 
maybe he has another few tournaments in him. He looks like he's done. Nadal's off to the third round. Okay. So this tournament without Djokovic, Nadal could grab the most majors of all time. Because they're all tied, those three guys. All tied. The reason I say Djokovic is that MJ's, he's a lot younger. Mm -hmm. Um, He hasn't been able to play a few tournaments, if I recall. He's already so. This isn't the first one he's missed. No, because of okay. its vaccination. He's two or three years younger. He will, mm. as long as you know co- this issue isn't around, he will smash their records, barring injuries. And before um, anyone who's like thinking and screaming, just uh, the Serena Williams is she like? How does she compare to these men? Serena is you can so Serena. I think does not Serena you could argue is like also the MJ in women's tennis. I mean does she have more um titles than these men? I f- cuz all the titles are men and women, right? They they compete with men and women, right? All these tournaments? No. Oh, some of them There's men's women. side and women's side. Sorry, right, but they but all of the tournaments have men and women yes, competing. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Um Serena I think may have more. She definitely has the most women single titles of all time. The argument, Navratilova has the most majors of all time when you include doubles. Okay. Um, you so know, according you would... to according to Wikipedia, Serena has twenty three. Grand Slam? Yeah, and I think Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal have 21. Um, Again, Djokovic is younger than Serena. Okay, so Serena does technically have more yeah. Grand Slam. Okay, so we're talking about men when we're talking about... Like, we're comparing... Yeah, okay, I just and, and Djokovic sure. is younger than Serena at this point. I'm okay. almost sure. Um, But yeah, Serena is the most dominant woman's player... Of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an argu- argument Navratilova is up there. Uh, but, yeah, you know. Okay, I just just for the people listening who are like, you know, when yeah. we're talking about how great these men are, um, I, I want to make sure we don't ignore that Serena technically has more yeah, re- Grand Slam wins than they 100%. do. A hundred percent. Cool. So so we're looking at Federer, Jokovic, Djokovic, and Nadal. They're like the big three, if big you want to compare the NBA model, the big three. Right, right. Um, okay. Um, and Djokovic is the youngest of the three. Yeah. And uh, anything else that we want to cover before we start like fall into the gravity well that is the current controversy um, is he like a especially good at any specific no thing? well his defense his defense mm-hmm. is in, absolutely insane he's a very flexible d- defensive player i mean like he can full-on do basically the splits to get a ball back it's you know yeah he's a he's a defensive guru <laughs> okay that's a good okay okay novak Djokovic, the defensive guru i like that okay um so, so let's just embrace the uh, gravitational pull that is this recent uh, controversy. Um, I was trying to do a little research before you came up for this recording. Um, 
and we're going to get into more of the details, but just as like a starting off point, so we're both on the same page. Uh, Djokovic has just been recently, we're talking as of recording this just a few days ago, um, sent away from Australia. He recently landed in Serbia, I think it is, where he lives. Uh, I don't know his exact route, but he, you, since you just looked, you would know more of it. I think he, he, he did go back home. He may have landed. He went to Dubai first. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he just stopped in Dubai at the airport and then went to Serbia, but he eventually made his way back home. Right. So he's now he's now home. Um, and the big controversy that's going on is that he came into Australia. Um, with an exemption, the exemption was then, uh, and this is an exemption for, for not having a COVID vaccination. Um, the exemption was then revoked, then it was reinstated, then it was revoked again, and then he was, uh, sent away from Australia. And I just read today that he actually is banned from Australia for three years. Yeah. So depending on when the Australian Open is in three years from now, he could miss the next three Australian Opens, yeah. uh, including this one, I think. Um, so that's kind of crazy. So so that's the rough, and it's, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about, because I, I asked you a couple days ago, and you kind of, uh, you had a, a very uh, strong take, but I, so I, I wanted to get, take some time to, to delve into the take, and then uh, obviously this is going to spiral into larger covid discussions i think um but yeah so what do you think let's let's just make sure we kind of understand our understandings of the deep we have the computer here we can do research if we have questions but like our understanding of of what is happening with the the facts of the case yeah um the biggest stuff that i've understood is that he was given an exemption from the australian open organization itself the, the private organization um the province, I guess, I don't know, Australian government. Yeah, um, I think it's technically called a state, but I okay, don't know. The state, Victoria, yeah. it is. Whether it's a state or a province, the region. Um, they gave him an exemption, medical exemption. And then when he arrived at the border, uh, the border said, that's not okay. And so then he was sent to a, a hotel, and then that started the saga. Uh, and then confusion kind of seemed to be compounded. Um, and only in the last day or 12 hours or so did the um, justifications for the revoking, the final revoking of his visa get released. Uh, and this is where he got this visa. It was revoked. It was reinstated and then it was revoked again. And now he's been sent out. Or, or like So far, we're kind of in agreement as to, like, am I missing anything? So there's a few things I think that are important. Mm-hmm. So when he was detained originally mm-hmm. by the uh, border agents, yeah. he the judge initially ruled, right? So this has been appealed. So initially the judge ruled, and this is where my strong feelings came in on issues i think we as someone who's an immigrant right advocate you know he's a bit different because let's put the facts out there not many immigrants have a million dollars to win and are multi-millionaires but i i think i generally am principled 
the judge initially ruled on what are considered due process issues. And so basically he was denied basic due process issues as an immigrant. And therefore... Okay, so... So he came in, mm -hmm. um, the customs border denied his visa, mm -hmm. but also they didn't give him access to a lawyer for many hours and took away his phone. So he couldn't even contact a lawyer. And the judge thought the treatment of him was particularly problematic from a, a due rights problem okay. process issue. So be like Canadian comes in, they think they have all their paperwork in mind, as you said. Mm -hmm. A custom agent detains them, doesn't give them their notice of legal rights, or you get arrested on the street with the cops arrest you, and doesn't tell you you have a right to a lawyer, and then just holds you in a cell for many hours without access to a phone to contact a lawyer. Okay, I'm going to push back on your example, though, because he wasn't arrested, he wasn't put in jail, he was sent to a hotel. Though it was, I think it's a... I don't know if the hotel... He had a 10-hour... So we just found the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, this is a January 5th article. Um, he had a 10-hour standoff in the Melbourne airport and remained in the country as he waited out legal appeal. That's that's from the 5th of January, so that's like a couple weeks ago now. Yeah, yeah that's when um, he arrived. So, but from my understanding, he he wasn't detained by police... I mean, he was—he wasn't allowed free reign, free free. He wasn't allowed to freely roam in the country of Australia, but he wasn't like arrested. He was put into uh, a hotel where he had to wait for the result of this. Right. He was just—he was held thing. to his room. Okay. He couldn't leave his room. Right. Um, which actually, I remember happened to me when I went to China years yeah. ago for H one N one. Uh, I was studying in China, and we were all sent uh, immediately to a hotel, or a Holiday Inn uh, <laughs> in Beijing for like a few weeks to make sure we were quote unquote quarantined. Of course, it's very soft quarantine. We're still allowed to like roam around the city. Um, just my experience is not his, but it was a very the school wouldn't let us go on campus for a week, so we were just like in this all expenses paid hotel, and we just chilled in the city for a week. Right. Um, so. Uh, just my experience with, like, when you're in a hotel quarantine, like, my experience is obviously extremely different from the number one ranked <laughs> Jokovic, but uh, it was definitely not, like, an extreme No, no, he wasn't... Case. To, to your point, he wasn't held in a jail cell. It was in his room, which he couldn't leave. But the judge made a ruling based on do-right violations um, that basically he not being allowed a lawyer and that... He did have all the paperwork anyone would expect would be granted, you know, due entry into process. So that's that's a key fact in this whole confusion. Okay, so this is an, this is interesting. This this there is this core thing here about the idea that he was denied a lawyer. Um, which I haven't found. Or access. Um, I haven't found anywhere. If you, um, I if you search yeah. judge rules in favor of Djokovic. There you go. This, one. this Forbes article? Sure, yeah. 
Um, so the federal circuit judge um, ordered officials to immediately release him from immigration detention. Um, so the judge said that he shouldn't be in this immigration detention in the in the hotel. Um, to your point that he was detained. Um, this first ruling says that the cancellation of his exemption was unreasonable. And then they said they might cancel his visa again, which they ended up doing. Um, He was detained. It says here his legal team challenged the decision. Yeah, eventually later on. Here. Okay. Yeah, this is interesting. So just this this one key fact that he was like denied a lawyer um, or denied his phone is something that I haven't read yet. Um, I'm just. This is we live in the the age of messy news. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about uh, what what he actually experienced now also to be fair i just read today that he's suing the australian government yeah. by three million i guess it's australian dollars um for the treatment of him so that might include this uh kind of denying him a ju uh, a lawyer okay so we have this one point about kind of denied here you go. The from a CTV article, the judge ruled the number one player had not been given enough time to speak to his lawyers before the decision was made. Wasn't given enough time to consult his lawyers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But that doesn't mean he wasn't allowed to speak to his lawyers, though, does it? That just means they like the judge says he wasn't given enough time. True. That's a fair point. Um, and okay, so this is an interesting thing. This kind of lawyer lawyer point. Um, I want to kind of move through if there's any other issues or, or points around the information that we. Um, have different points of information or, or disagree with. Um, there is this weird thing around, I think a lot of it comes down to like what rules he broke because of Australia's COVID policies or what he didn't break. Um, technically, like if you have gotten infected with COVID, but uh, have been quarantined for the appropriate number of days and are still testing positive. They call that residual shedding, and therefore you're still you are allowed to travel in certain ways. Um, I think another player recently, uh, Andre Rublev, recently just said yeah. that he was allowed into the country to be part of the um, Australian Open, and he tweeted or someone tweeted something that's. Uh, uh, what is it? A he tweeted a screenshot uh, with the Australian rules, and they've highlighted that if you have co had COVID and recovered but continue to test positive, you 
you will be eligible for an exemption to be allowed to travel, uh, assuming you also do these other things. Um, so one of the one of the things about the Australian issue with Djokovic is that there's also this discussion that like he didn't isolate the right way. He didn't follow um, what the government is saying is that he didn't follow the proper procedures or rules regardless of this exemption, right? Yeah. So like, I think there's this kind of the layers of what's going on here is that like there's an exemption that was given by a private body, by a provincial or a state body, and then the federal body says, well, regardless of this exemption, which we're not even sure we want to give you, um, you didn't follow the rules to come into the... So we agree about that, right? There's a kind of confusion there, or there's like a com- complication there? Yeah, clear. Yeah, and that's, that's where I have a bit more empathy, that there is rules in place, mm-hmm. and anyone should and would... Mm-hmm. or not would, but should get in trouble for violating quarantine rules. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, people were getting fined for breaking quarantine, you know, if they got caught, lots of money. Mm-hmm. I, You know, I don't know if they were getting necessarily deported, but certainly fined lots of money. Um, yeah. We do have a quarantine act. Um, and that I've is, also heard stories about people refusing to quarantine because the the fine for being quarantined is less than paying for a hotel for two weeks at a certain point i think i've heard i've heard apocryphally stories about that yeah uh, i mean another issue those that, are canadian citizens as well and like other th- stuff so those issues are a hundred percent valid mm-hmm. um it is interesting though that the immigration minister said or hawk i can't remember his position who made the decision said um, outright admitted it said he's worried that because of the celebrity status of mm-hmm. Djokovic, he's worried the impact he'll have on anti-vax movement. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, there's somewhat legitimacy to it, but, you know, it's, again, it is not... So this is to, to read the quote that you're kind of talking about it was only released today i think uh the quotes from the formal written decision these are just like some key points from an article uh an iconic world tennis star may influence people of all ages it continues especially the young and the impressionable to emulate him this is not fanciful it does not need evidence it is the recognition of human behavior and that's a three judge panel that wrote that um and that's the public part of their um reasoning um okay so okay as long as we're just kind of like so so this is let's let's focus on this thing that you were saying first which is like they were he was denied a lawyer um before we get into like the larger things like focusing on because it always does come down to there's like the written law and then there's how it's implemented right and this is kind of a big issue around justice and and law and policy um so the first issue that you were bringing up i don't want to ignored fully um i just wanted to do a little bit of a a skip around the borders as it were um the first issue that you brought up was this idea that he was kind of illegally detained or inappropriately detained um and that that issue there so so he so we haven't found that he was denied a lawyer but we did find that a judge ruled that he wasn't given enough time and that might be because he wasn't allowed to talk to his lawyer soon enough or 
Uh, once he did talk to his lawyer, things moved too quickly. We're like, whatever that means. Um, but you were saying about your issue with this. Yeah, and there was he was in a in detention for four days, which is a long time. And I recall something about his phone being taken away. Um, you know, I don't, we could search for it, but that is, they're just a, and the judge focused heavily on these due process issues. And, and I think as a, an advocate for, you know, immigrants, you know, Djokovic, again, he's a multimillionaire. He's not the typical immigrant. You, well, to be fair, also, you would like, be fighting for. But. I want to push back on this use of immigrant because he's not moving to Australia. No. He's a he's he's a sports player who's playing there for like two weeks. Right. So that's like the same thing as like like um, Tom Hanks going to Australia to film a movie. But like he's not an immigrant. He's just a foreign worker. Right. But I think the judges. I tend to focus on a judge's written decision because I think when you're looking at these issues, you'd want a legal decision to be based on due process. And I acknowledge he's not the typical case as an advocate you'd want to be looking at. And you'd want, this is how you would want a system to work. Everyone's entitled to, you know, not unreasonable length of detention and not to have proper act access to a lawyer and not to have their cases legitimately heard and their phones being taken away and so i just oh. found the express.co.uk oh, um, which which backs your point uh this is from january 5th which was similar to that other art uh forbes article we just read uh, novak Djokovic is isolated in a room and not allowed to use his mobile phone as he waits to learn whether or not he'll be allowed into australia according to reports uh, right. So, so that so that it does back you up. So that's probably what the judge meant by being able to access a, you know, lawyer. And so, well, I, he said not enough time, right? Yeah. So the the judge didn't say wasn't allowed. The judge said didn't have enough time. Uh, and I do want to just point out everyone is biased. That's totally fine. The Daily Express, which I just quoted, I'm not saying that they're unbiased or fake news, but I'm pretty sure that they are very right wing. Um, and what's interesting is that the only articles or the only, yeah, the only publication I could find that mentions Jokovic unable to use his phone, uh, is this right wing leaning, right. uh, publication that is like catering to anti-vaxxers and that crowd. I just think that's an interesting kind of like, why are we not seeing that point about him being denied his phone by more um large scale or like left leaning or or more or less right biased publications right right and then on that point i think this has become one of my issues with on this side on this issue it's become wrapped up in vaccine politics mm -hmm. and all these other issues such as when the judge's ruling came out it's still was wrapped up in vaccine politics, which was from someone who's adamantly to the point of intensely fighting with other pro-vaccine and supports restricting anti-vaccine movements, lives, people in very invasive ways. Um, when that came up and the talk was still on vaccine movements instead of the substance of the judge's ruling and the implications that had for people 
trying to get into the country um, to see family members or just to access Canada or just the general principles of what he's saying. I was mm -hmm. kind of surprised of the left's um, reaction as every somehow I think, I Djokovic we're still saying we're yeah yeah as everything's getting wrapped up I think in this era as vaccine politics I mean, and there's a hesitancy to yeah. separate when a judge talks about interesting other issues that we're not that's just this not inability this hard time to kind of look at those issues it is it is i mean it's it's a it's a topic that we're talking about even yeah. because it wraps everything up right we're talking we're two years into a global pandemic which no, is like sure. you know re um invigorated through omicron yeah. um australia specifically is struggling with with the virus right like they for the entire two years have had more issues around getting the vaccine out around lockdowns from what i've been seeing not specifically focusing my attention on Australia, but from offhand kind of things that I'm witnessing and reading. Uh, and then this is a global sports event with one of the top athletes. You know, the NBA equivalent is like Kyrie Irving. This is like a really top player in his prime and he's not, you know, not being allowed to play. So it's, there's a lot of public interest in the story and it does uh, affect a lot of people. Um, so, but what's interesting yeah. about that and the politics is then the right jumps on it mm -hmm. as like a big pro-immigrant issue. And they're the, like even Nigel Farage. I mean, I love what Andy Murray said about Nigel Farage. I mean, if people listen and don't know Nigel Farage, he's like one of the most racist, xenophobic. He led the Brexit movement mm -hmm. successfully. And he's vilely anti-immigrant. Well, yeah, a British guy with the first name Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, he's talking about immigrant rights. And Andy Murray basically told him to, like, screw off. Like, you can't be yeah. doing this. But, I mean, this is, it's just, it's it's a very interesting well, this is Djokovic I mean, yeah, moment. That, to me, is, the way I hear that is it's just, like, the right wing taking an opportunity to say, you know, everyone says I'm anti-immigrant and like, oh, I can actually spin this yeah. thing to say, hey, look, I actually do care about immigrants, guys. You know, it's a, it's a political move, yeah. um, which I'm glad he's being called out for because, as I said earlier, I don't really consider Djokovic as an immigrant. Like, he's not moving to Australia. He has no intention to move to Australia. He's there for how long is the Open? A couple of weeks, yeah. right? And literally, he's only there to make millions of dollars. Not like for sure. As I said, it's like Tom Hanks or like Tom Cruise going to, you know, film Mission Impossible in, in you know, uh, Georgia or something yeah. like um, the country, not the state. You know, like yeah. I, I don't I don't really think it's fair to call these people. So, I mean, I don't know if you agree, but like my first pushback on on terms would be I don't think it's fair to call Djokovic an immigrant in this case. And I also don't think really using this whole discussion to address immigration is entirely fair. I think it's a little bit more fair to use it as an on-ramp to talk about immigration issues, but I don't think it's fair at all to call Djokovic an immigrant. No, but he's he's not an immigrant in the sense he's trying to live, but he's applying under visas. He, 
he's not an immigrant in the typical sense. He's trying to immigrate to a country, but he's applying under an immigration system of through a visa. He's applying for a visa to work. Yeah. For for a short period of time. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like we're kind of conflating the word immigration visa and immigrant when just because they share the word, there's like very little that like an immigrant coming from a country to live in another country and change their life is very different from an athlete or, or a special worker coming for a couple of weeks to do their job. No, right. I mean, do we disagree on that? The question is of what rights are people applying under a system should they be entitled to? Okay. And then the, the, the opposite would be what rights does a sovereign nation have to maintain its borders? Right, a hundred percent. Which is kind of the conflict. That, that's always the conflict. Right. So in so so speaking about the from the sovereign rights, something that interests me, and I don't want to ignore your point. I'm just trying to. Yeah. We're continuing to go around it. Um, is like, <laughs> I think it's really interesting about how like the organization of the open and the state in which it's residing both gave him this exemption and then the government the federal government was like nah that doesn't count um as a kind of parallel it's interesting we talk a lot about canada and the canadian charter of rights and freedoms or freedoms and rights i forget the order um yeah right i can't remember the order right now rights Um, and freedoms i think okay yeah uh which is like our constitution uh, yeah. Basically, um, technically, people in Canada are allowed medical legitimate exemptions or even religious exemptions, I think, from the vaccine, uh, the COVID vaccine. But there's a lot of, in terms of like the real world accessibility of those exemptions for Canadians is kind of unclear. So there's a lot of discussion around everyone has to do this in, in for example, Quebec or Ontario or any of these provinces and say, you have to do this or that. Of course, if you have a medical exemption, that's fine. Um, but then the question comes like, well, who gives these medical exemptions? How do you get that? Who's the signatory on that exemption that will be accepted by uh, different provinces, different institutions? This is something that's not very clear from the public's perspective, from our perspective. We have people in our circles who have been looking to get exemptions uh, and and been unable to for eight months or more now. So uh, without getting into like who they are, but like I don't understand what that process is in Canada and I don't necessarily want this discussion to get into Canadian issues right now. But just as an example of while exemptions may be possible, who gives the exemption and whether that exemption actually means anything to X, Y, or Z is a big kind of concern right so when we go back to Djokovic he was given two exemptions but they didn't mean anything or they were kind of ignored or they were said that they're not good enough Uh, what are your thoughts around that like I think that's a really interesting it's like where the law meets you know where the rubber meets the road so that's that's my other issue with this is he I mean, so the lying thing is where there's a bit of a contradiction to my position. He didn't follow the rules. Mm-hmm. And that's where I actually do think a minister has the right to be like, listen, you didn't follow the rules. All, all the exemptions you got in and the due process rights, 
don't kind of matter at this point, mm-hmm. um, you're gone. And that, that I have much less of an issue with. Okay. Um, it, you know, if that was the basis they legitimately said versus you're unvaccinated, right. goodbye. If, if that right. was the basis, I'd have much more issues. If the issue was like, you lied on your paperwork, like yeah. I, I don't agree with that. And you broke quarantine violations i have huge problems with that because then you're exposing people and that's what it seems like is the final word from the government um, that i do um completely but you know one of my other points i made is like he got the paperwork Mm -hmm. that's not his fault that you know they gave him the exemption and like yeah some people may have trouble getting it but like you know, incompetent bureaucracy is not, it's an issue everywhere. And it's mm-hmm. like, but some bureaucracies are like really good. We have a friend in Germany who raves about their bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, as I Insert said, German joke here, <laughs> as I said on the debate, like, you know, that's kind of up to the government. There's rules. Yeah. It, rules are only as good as, they're enforced or followed yes exactly very um but if someone's given it if i got my papers of course i would fly to the country with those papers i wouldn't assume those papers aren't valid well and this is yeah and i think it's very fair like if right? i got yeah. a visa stamped in my passport i'm gonna go to that country i'm like oh i have well, that's so you're you're taking a step too far though, because I don't think. Or if I have an exemption. Yeah, but that's not the only people who stamp your passport are the border, which is the people who stopped him. I see. That's interesting. I'd have to see because when I applied to go to Britain on a work visa, mm-hmm. I had my everything pre-approved. Yeah. So I have my work visa pre-approved before I ever enter Britain. Now, obviously, immigration could still deny me. But I had my work visa in hand when I went. Right. Um, they could deny me for a million other reasons. I'm just pushing back on the fact you said stamped in the passport because... Sorry, what I mean is if I have my work visa pre-approved, uh-huh. like pre-stamped, um, of course I'd fly to that country. Did, did, jo- did Djokovic have They canceled visa his visa. From the... From the national government i guess that's that's a question for me because i guess i'm um this is great pod (laughs) okay so so there is this thing so so technically i guess without wasting too much time you're saying my understanding that, is they canceled his that visa. That he was given a visa from the government, and then that was canceled when he yeah. arrived. And he was given a visa on the understanding that he had this exemption, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. So this is, this is I guess, yeah, that it is confusing. And and, and rightfully so. It's a confusing story. And... and um, I think what you're saying is really like a good it, it it's it's really valuable to like always remember that like it's not necessarily just what the rule says it's like the bureaucracy that enforces that rule um 
And I don't want to fall into the pit around like American policing and North American policing because there's the same issue there around like race and police, race and policing yeah. and like what the policies are versus what the actions are. And that's its own discussion. Um, and also a big thing to remember with like COVID is that everything is two years old, right? Like, yeah. so you have overwhelmed organizations, uh, institutions, bureaucracies, that are dealing with something that's entirely new. The rules and policies are changing sometimes within every few days or months or weeks um, over the past few uh, <laughs> years, for a past couple of years. So it's kind of confusing of like, for even if you were working in one of these offices, like, well, what's the rules now? And what do we have to do? Like um, in Ontario where, where we are, the provincial rules around what restaurants are allowed to do changes quite regularly. And it can be quite confusing. Like um, I do a little bit of work helping out in a restaurant and like when they shut it down or open it up and what are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? And if you look up the rules, one article might be from the last time things were locked down or the website on the government website might be, um, not updated from the last statement. And then the last public statement is this kind of broad public rhetoric that doesn't really clarify, well, what does that actually mean in terms of how we do things? So uh, I'm also not necessarily surprised to have someone, uh, for example, the idea that he didn't follow the rules, right? We're going back to Djokovic and saying like, well, he didn't follow the quarantine rules or he so, didn't follow this rules. It's not that surprising to me that someone might misinterpret or misunderstand or that the Australian rules changed. I don't know. The, um, before he comes into that's the That's where I government. push back. Now, I personally, I I really don't like Djokovic. I'm, I mean, <laughs> okay. it's, you know, and I, it's quite, you know, I try to take a look at things neutrally. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but like, and and I hope this shows I do. But I actually don't like Djokovic because I think he consistently, especially on he is has the worst vaccine politics, and it eventually was going to catch up with him. Okay, let's be very clear. This mm-hmm. it took a long time, but he never wears. He's an anti-masker. He you okay. I he goes in the crowds without mask. Mm-hmm. He like, and he he. His excuse for breaking COVID with the journalism was iffy at best. It was like he knew he tested positive. He he claims he told the journalist, so he didn't. Journalist, sorry. Yeah, yeah. He did an interview. He oh, said, okay. "I thought I was doing the journalist a favor. I knew I tested positive. I told him." Oh, so um, he interviewed a journal, or a journalist interviewed yeah. him while he was positive. Yeah, and he wasn't wearing a mask. That was the breaking of isolation too. Oh, um, <laughs> he, he constantly isn't wearing masks even during like peak mm-hmm. COVID. Um, he's quite outspoken about these issues. So he really is like a, a figurehead for the anti-vax, anti-mask. He, that, oh, movement. he's a big figurehead, which is why they've taken it up. It's not like. Mm-hmm. In many ways, he hasn't had it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a problematic figure uh-huh. um, on on vaccine issues. Um, okay. And there's no doubt he intentionally flouted the rules based on his track record. 
Right. Um, there's no doubt he has handlers who fit. He doesn't fill in his own paperwork. Yeah, yeah, Black he's rich. Trope. He's got people um, who work for him. And do but there's stuff. no doubt he he's an anti-vaxxer, anti-masker, and he followed the rules on purpose. Okay. Um, right. That's why I have less sympathy to him about breaking the rules, and I don't like him at I actually just person. I just watched a movie last night uh, with my partner, and and she mentioned a very funny thing because in in the Venom Two, you know, like <laughs> great piece of cinema, um, but at one point they just said you know like uh, the the state of California has changed the the law so that we can <laughs> we can kill this guy who's a criminal, like we can implement the death penalty, and my partner says like why. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't now she's a she's a policy head, right? So yeah. she's like, why wouldn't they just send him to another state where there is a death penalty? Why would they change the law in California? That makes no sense. And it was kind of a funny point because it's like, yeah, it's true. In the real world, the government would just say, well, you know, it's illegal to kill you here. Like, the, we'll just send you to a state with a death penalty, and they'll just do it. But in a movie logic, like, well, the law can't be broken. So the law has to be changed if it's going to happen. Right. Um, and also, of course, they wanted to keep him in the state for the storyline. But it, I, it is kind of funny. It's like like Djokovic is proving, like, yeah, like, you can do whatever you want. Like, laws are broken all the time, and people knowingly break laws all the time or, or work their way around it, whether or not it's actually legal or those gray areas and loopholes. And, oh, I didn't understand. You know, like, uh, I think, uh, uh, what was it? Trump's son-in-law who like lied a shit ton on all of his confidentiality uh, certifications when oh. he came into the office. Uh, Jared Kushner who just like, yeah. yeah, like I, oh, I didn't understand that I actually was supposed to do this paperwork. And like, you know, like that, con- that like that quote unquote unintentionally writing paperwork wrong to get through things, but to lie is like something that happens all the time. But to tie, I mean, the sports and politics and all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, the crazy thing isn't that joke, you know, Djokovic got into Australia initially. The crazy thing is with his anti-vax comments and his flagrant violations of mask and any, I mean, he has a very public record Mm -hmm. as he's granted this medical exemption and it's all for profit. Well, this is, it's all for profit because Without him, mm-hmm. it's a huge money loss. It's a huge ratings dip. Mm-hmm. It's a huge. It impacts the profit line of the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to publicly say this, but there's no way he should have ever been granted the exemption. And like, it's a profit decision, and and it's a hundred percent what it is. And it's the same for the province of Victoria. I mean. They granted it over the federal government because it brings in huge revenue from tourism. And that's that's where sports ca- and capitalism meets politics. I mean, it, it's yeah. like it, it, it would have taken five minutes for the ATP to look up Djokovic record on vaccines. And right. no, he's he, and, and this story about him flouting his isolation with the journalist was very public. In fact, it got broken because it was out on Instagram. It was an Instagram journalist who 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 published the story. It didn't take any conscious effort. Um, so the the whole thing is just shrouded in money. Well, and this is a good and also a question is like I don't 
you know, maybe you do, but I don't know whether the Victorian government, like the the province or state, is it? I think I just found it's a province. Yeah, I'm not. I think it's a Commonwealth Australia, so they'd work similar to Canada. Would be my guess. That would make sense because yeah, we're we're both under the old crown. Um, I don't know if if he if if the government is a conservative government or a liberal government especially in com- or what their stance is you know uh and compared to the federal government and compared to like canadian norms i guess we could say um i know that like in ontario our premier is very much a conservative uh doug ford and came from city politics with his uh, late brother Rob Ford, who was the mayor of Toronto, and Doug Ford then ended up becoming like the head of the conserv- the provincial Conservative Party, and now he's the premier. Um, he's very, how would you say, like quietly supportive of anti-vaxxers. Like his his daughter is openly anti-vax on social media, yeah, which is kind of a crazy thing. Of course, like she's her own person she's allowed to have her own you know that sort of stuff but like he regularly refuses to speak out against anti-vax anti-maskers even though he's um implementing a lot of lockdown procedures and stuff like so he's you know you could get into a whole discussion on whether doug ford is doing a good job as the premier of ontario but um i think it's we could both agree that his conservative government of ontario is more right-leaning than like the liberal federal government led by justin trudeau who's more left center um and i would say ford is more laissez-faire or quietly supportive of the anti-vax anti-mask movement which a lot of his voters come from than someone like trudeau in the federal government right like so i don't know how the balancing of the victoria province versus the australian federal government we don't unless you do like we don't know the where they sit on the political spectrum i know where scott morrison sits i don't know anything about provincial government scott morrison is actually so in australia uh it's a multi-party system and Labor, Scott Morrison's conservative. Okay. Um, he's the, he's the prime minister. Yeah, and he's okay. right wing. But on, I know they've had a pretty um, aggressive approach on COVID. They weren't allowing anyone in the country for a while. They had intense lockdowns. Victoria had very intense lockdowns, like extreme mm. lockdowns. Um, so. Again, it's interesting that they even consider giving Djokovic a medical exemption. And, you know, I don't know why they did. I, I would grant, I, I mean, guess. the business point is a good point, is, right? That's my leaning. Yeah. Um, again, Djokovic is, it seems to completely contradict Victoria's previous policies, considering it's public record. And again, all this stuff that he lied on its paperwork came out not through hard rep through them finding out it came through soft reporting on like instagram how a lot of news comes these days um but like it didn't you know if if the government really wanted to investigate this medical exemption they could have but or same with australia open but they didn't want to lose such an attraction well and and it's also the things like when something comes big enough to be a story then 
all of a sudden you deal with it differently. I mean, yeah. it happens all the time. Uh, I, I mean, look at the NFL. Their stadiums are full of people. <laughs> and same, its own world. And right? same with NBA, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, sports, is, you know, they're going to focus on their bottom line. And government's kind of, you know, role has should be to override it and it, and yeah, I mean, businesses are allowed to, like, the point of private business and enterprise is to make profit. And without getting too, like, moral or political about it, like, that's their objective. And yeah. they're allowed to pursue their objective. They're allowed to. Yeah. And the point of the government, especially in regards to, like, immigration and public health, is to curtail those objectives, right? Like, it's to say, okay, we understand you want to do this, but you're not allowed to go this far because... That's why we have minimum wages, and that's why we have all these different things. But yeah, uh, and now oftentimes the government and the and private industry work hand in hand because obviously the economy helps people and money, and uh, we don't need to go down that road. But uh, it should be done in a humane yeah way. Oftentimes they will have competing, uh, conflicting interests, and that's kind of how it's designed. Like, that's okay. Like, Kyrie Irving knows the rules. It's not like he, <laughs> you know, no, but seriously, it's not like Kyrie Irving, it's not like players fly into Brooklyn and hope they could play the game. They just don't fly to Brooklyn. Well, I actually heard recently that... Which that, would be like Novak flying into Brooklyn and then sitting in an immigration hotel for four hours, hoping to play an NBA basketball game. Right? That doesn't happen. Because... Well, the this rules is, are very clear, and there is no confusion, which is kind so of my problem that's with the Novak. So this is you bring up something that's very interesting, though, is that visiting players are allowed to play in Brooklyn who are unvaccinated. Yeah, they're exempt. Right. Well, okay. So there's a weird thing with that, which is, and this goes to this goes to show the silliness of like all this COVID. Right. And and I'm not someone like I've had my booster. I think yeah. both of us have. Like we're. We wear masks, we're pro-vaccine in general, but I do think that there's a lot of validity to the points that uh, a lot of people on the anti-vax side um, have. Now, specifically around the absurdity of these rules and the lack of coherence or like continuity, right? Like to what you were just saying, I just looked this up and I'd heard it on a podcast I wanted to confirm, which is that visiting players to the Brooklyn Barclays Center are exempt from any rules and are allowed to take the court even when not vaccinated, while the Brooklyn players are not allowed to play at Barclays Center due to the requirements of New York City or, or whatever, or the Barclays Center itself. So while Kyrie, who chooses very openly not to vaccinate himself, now he also specifically... Um, is trying, he's not trying to tell anyone else, but of course, like, he's a, I, I don't know if he's become like a figurehead of the anti-vax movement, um, but he definitely yeah. doesn't want to get vaccinated yeah. and, and stands strong on that. Um, he's not allowed to play at home for the Brooklyn Nets in the Barclays Center, but other players who come in that aren't vaccinated uh, are allowed to come play. So, like the rules are weird, right? Like that's yeah. kind of crazy. And that, and this is what that Djokovic, I think, situation shows. I mean, yeah. that like within seventy-two hours, three different decisions can be reached. Yeah. And like, yeah, they're millionaire athletes, but like at the end of the day, you know, like we and I think both sides, which is my problem, mm -hmm. is like 
at the crux, there's decisions I agree with, which is like you broke the rules, like mm-hmm. sovereign countries, the rules should be followed. And that on so if the decision was based on that pair, but also, you know, there's we also agree that like there's due process issues. Yeah. And like, yeah. I would want anyone who has. Who comes to the country with the legitimate papers? I would fly in that situation to be able to have lawyers and to be able to go to a proper court process. So there's issues I agree with, with but I think what it shows is that, you know, a country that can't get its stuff in order, yeah, it's like, and the well, and rules yeah. aren't clear and aren't. The lack of clarity to rules is a huge issue, right? I think it's a a fundamental part of rule of law. Like, if you don't understand what the rule is, how are you expected to follow it? And imagine if you're poor. I mean, Djokovic has millions of dollars. He could hire these lawyers, so it's easy for him. Imagine if you're, like, a poor person. You're just getting trapped in a system. Yeah, I mean, to be fair— And you could get jailed for some of these violations. Yeah, Obviously, I'm generalizing here, but to be fair, I th- like in my perspective, I think a lot of poor people aren't traveling to Australia for two weeks no. to work. Um, no, no. Now, the, the other the thing that a lot of poor people are being stuck with is that like they're trapped, right? Like poor people because they don't have these options they, around fo- doing paperwork, getting lawyers, they can't leave their country or they can't leave their home, or homes. they're stuck in immigration detention for weeks, or they're stuck for a lot longer because no one cares, and it's because they don't know the rules or they get their papers, yeah. but something goes, something small goes terribly yeah. awry, or they have like public defenders who just are working yeah. slow for them. Um, yeah, I think, and I think we do agree though that like the federal immigration made the call and the federal judges made the call, and we agree that like. Because there's always, you know, in every conflict, like, there's always, like, if there's a misunderstanding of the rule, who has the final word? And yeah, we I mean, agree that the final word is the federal government and immigration. Like, well, they're the, they the ones who get the final word. I, right? I don't know Australia's legal system. I'm going to assume they followed what's called precedent, which means higher courts have the last say. Yeah. I'm going to assume that was followed. I haven't heard any claims that there was funniness around appeals didn't go up the... Well, I think this, right that's where the back and forth happened, right? Yeah. Like, um, what I was seeing in the beginning of this Economist article was that Alex Hawk, who is the Minister for Education for Immigration, yeah. announced that he was using his personal powers to cancel Djokovic visas for the second time. And that... And- yeah, and, uh, and, and then Djokovic lawyers appealed that. So the, the legal process followed. It followed the rules. It followed the um, rules, yeah. And that's why we have those rules is because when there is confusion. Now, obviously, we're talking as like the confusion shouldn't be baked in, right? The confusion should be rare. The confusion should be – we should be working against confusion. But my, my bigger problem is just like I think – the humanity was lost in all sides. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> but the pro the pro side, for some reason, I don't think everything has to be wrapped in vaccinations. And and that's where my frustration came. It's like okay. the, the issues that the judges were discussing about came lost in. And, and like both sides, the politics became so clearly hypocritical. Well, so, so weird. But go into go so so, like what? So the, go into your like this issue. What is the issue that you have here with? Like so, the left lost sight of like, like fundamental human rights issues, and then the right became so fakely obsessed with immigrant issues, which they don't care about, and like, it was 
it, it became this like vaccine war. I want to push, or I want to, I want to focus down on this thing around like due process and personal rights or human rights that you're kind of talking about because, um, in general, I think we are on the same page. Yeah. Um, when it comes to this example, I guess I'm struggling to like see or extrapolate how Djokovic was treated as the larger human rights issue or due process issue that you're discussing because um, he wasn't detained in in like a jail um, the only reporting we can find that he like wasn't allowed to use his phone like um, I guess my question would be like first of all like let's just assume that that's correct because I don't want to we don't have enough evidence to like for me to push back entirely on that. But my question would be like, what's the issue around um, not being able to use his phone because assumedly he had contact with his lawyers and so was able to contact people through his lawyers. Um, they can, you know, he can contact them, they can contact people. So what are we talking about his, like what are the issues, uh, the human rights kind of violations that he experienced that you have an issue with, I guess is my question. Um. So my understanding is that, I mean, that the judge even said that, so the judge ruled the number one, as I said, had not, we discussed and still not been given enough time. So the judge released him while making a decision, which mm -hmm. means he felt that the pro the right violations were so bad that he should be like, he needed to be released while making a decision because usually you're allowed detaining people mm -hmm. and uh let me i just want to because there's actually a larger um to be clear he spent four nights in a well the <laughs> the economist is calling it a notorious immigration hotel um but from what we can see is that he spent four nights in a hotel yeah, and... And this was... And this, you're calling, like, this issue around... Yeah, and, you human, know... Uh, his and, rights. And it was... I read the phone issue somewhere else, um, too. It wasn't the UK paper. It was a Canadian. Uh, right, and I'm not... like in, yeah. in So there's two things that I want to talk about here. One is the detainment, quote-unquote. The other is the access to his phone. Um, so... Looking at those two issues, like what really, like honestly, and like, that what are he your came issues? with the legitimate papers that you would expect would give you access to a country. Yeah, now that is a good question because, like, like when I went to the UK, I had everything lined up, so I flew. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I wouldn't fly to a country if I knew in advance I wasn't getting in on a on a hail mary. Well, you might if you had the potential of winning millions of dollars. Maybe that's true. But I just think like... If it only cost you your time and there was the potential of winning millions of dollars, you might have taken that risk. Like flip a coin. Right. If it was 50, 50. Like, so we don't know what he thought his chances were. Yeah. Right? Uh, obviously, they turned out bad. But he could have... Like, we don't know whether he came in thinking, I'm 100% going to do this, or whether he came in thinking... 
uh, maybe I'll sneak in. I'm not sure. Like, you know, I hope the paperwork's good. Like, we can't get into his mind, right? Yeah. We know that he went. Um, he had two exemptions that were sub-federal. He had a visa that, assumedly, the immigration um, department gave him, issued him. Uh, and then at the border, they said, actually, no, this isn't good enough. So the right organization stopped him at the border, which is like their job. Do we disagree on that? It's, I mean, they had. I mean, the border could stop you for anything. So we agree that, like, yeah, but we agree that, like, the border's allowed to do that. That's their like. That's, sure. That's the rule of law. Like, they're yeah. allowed to do that. Yeah. Whether or not it's whether or not that's fun or like it's cool, like, you know, like that that would suck. I'm not denying that. It would absolutely suck to be stuck in an airport for ten hours or twelve hours because the border's screwing with you. That'd be horrible. Um, like, and, and to be fair, like, I'm not saying any of this is cool. Like, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, let's just spend four nights in a cool hotel. Like, I'm sure it wasn't the best experience in his life, but I, I, I guess like, let's always also compare it to the idea that like, and without trying to what about or without trying to say like, well, he could have been like, you know, waterboarded for four nights. Like at least he wasn't tortured. Like, I'm not trying to say that either, but to say like, Paper, like bureaucracy takes time when you have a confusion like this where like one group says yes the other group says no we have to actually clarify what we mean um, people get stuck in limbo that's what happens right in that case you try to give the person who's stuck in limbo the best experience they can um, which is like hopefully not torturous um, they gave him a hotel which Let's assume it's the worst possible hotel. So it's like it was shitty. But a lot of people have been forced into hotels for two weeks for legal um, immigration across many, 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 many countries throughout COVID. Right. So two weeks in a hotel. I, I know that I saw like Twitter accounts of like actors staying two weeks in a hotel in Canada before they could go film a movie in Canada, for example. Right. Um, so they're stuck in a hotel like the Royal York in Toronto. Uh, this now Djokovic was stuck in a in a hotel for four days, so it's less time than many people have had to be forced into a a hotel for like being able to be allowed to continue in. Just to kind of like, so I guess like, yes, he was stuck in a hotel. Is is that like this big? Are, are you saying that that's like a he was denied like human rights or something? What's or the like, charge? What's I mean, the issue with that? I mean, again, I. You know, I'm basing it on what the judge found. As a non-like lawyer, that the judge found there was enough violations that he needed to be released pending trial. But wouldn't I would argue that that's like an example of the the system working? Right. Like the system, they gave him but, an exemption. Then at the border, they said, "Actually, we're not sure we want to give you this exemption," and they put him in holding for four days until he was released. And they canceled his visa. The border agents. Well, then they gave it back to him. Then they revoked it again, right? Yeah. Like it's. But the point is, like, it only took four days for all that to be processed. Right. And in that time, he was not in jail. He was in a hotel. Right. But the pro, I guess what I was reading was like. I'm just wondering what the issue is with that. What's your issue with that? Was, 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 there wasn't, was glossing over the ruling. It was like, oh, they let Djokovic in. And they canceled, they like reversed the order. Like, there's no reading of the ruling. 
just try to speak into them. Oh, sorry. There was, you can move them like to your head. Right. There was no r- reading of that ruling. It was like, ugh, he's not vaccinated. He's an anti-vaxxer. Like, this ruling is bullshit. Like, there was still that anger about it. And I was like... I'm a little unclear. So is your problem like the reaction you've been reading? Or is your problem... Yeah, the reaction versus being like, oh, we should be sympathetic towards what the judge is saying. Like, as an... If you're advocating for like people to have their rights like the judge actually putting that into practice should be a good thing i'm actually i'm I'm struggling a little bit here so like because when you go onto social media you can find an opinion about absolutely everything in the world right right like people will be for and against everything so is your problem with him being detained or your problem is the reaction online from some people when he was released from the four-day detention? Well, my problem is twofold. One is, like, I think this does show a system that, like, you know, it, it, I'm glad it gave it attention to, like, how cut borders treat people in general. And, like, and how a lot of people are treated, and I think it posed a lot of questions that people are now grappling with. Um, and secondly, I think I do have problems that every issue got looked at through a vaccine issue versus like what some of the issues were actually about. Right, and th- so that's this conversation is an opportunity for us to discuss yeah. our perspectives. Like, I don't, I just think I have a lot of issues with like even CNN or like any BBC, just kind of like picking and choosing voices online and saying like, well, someone thinks this, therefore there's this perspective. And it's like, well, you can ask if you can if you can poll everyone in the world, you're gonna find an, a perspective you disagree with. Yeah, of course. And then you can respond to that. So, like, what, a lot of what I'm hearing is, like, some of what I'm hearing you say is you have issues with some of the voices you hear online in reaction to this story. Not just some. There was, like, most... There was... I... Well, I mean, you have yet to cite an, a body or an individual that you have an issue with. Or, like, I just... Like, it's... You're kind of talking about, like, this kind of vague reaction... Yeah. ...as opposed to the thing itself... And the reaction is like, well, who's reacting? Just, I found that was how the debate was framed constantly. On like Twitter? Because I think like, like, I just get like social media and like online discussion like always goes crazy. Yeah. And like we're in the, we're in a, the pandemic. Everything is very, very quickly a lot of discussions become pro anti vax, pro anti mask, right. pro anti BLM, pro anti uh, all lives matter, pro anti cop, pro anti Trump. Like everything just gets simplified in the in the zeitgeist. Um, but that I don't know. Like that's just kind of like that's just what's happening online. Like that to me. Like so, if that's the problem, can you can you like untangle that the fact that yes every topic that becomes news becomes uh either used for or against 
anti-vax, pro-vax discussion when we're in the pandemic. And this is not different. Uh, Djokovic's issue is not different from anything else. But separate from the radicalization and uh, binaryism that is debate, what is your issue with what Djokovic has experienced? With what he experienced? Yeah, like what he experienced, what's ha- like what what happened with the process? Um, what about the process do you think is a problem or do you, uh, do you have issues with? Because like in terms of the debate around what happened, I just like it's tough for us. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess my, my struggle is just like, well, like everything can be, we can just be like, well, people online are saying this, but it's like, who's saying this online? Like, we're not citing anybody when we say that. Um, oh, and in regards to the actual process, again, it's like, you know, like, I, I mean, again, it reiterates the fact that it seems he had the proper paperwork. Um, and he, you know, again, uh, I, I strongly believe in a, in a country sh- where rights you know should be upheld in the the legal process played out a judge looked at his violation of rights mm-hmm. agreed with mm-hmm. his lawyers and that that's great but so this is where i'm confused as to where your problem lies like to me it's an example of like extremely messy where we have a lack of clarity in terms of what is the policy we have a lack of clarity in terms of which body is allowed to give exemptions um, and which body is allowed to revoke exemptions or like, I mean, we both agree that there's like a hierarchy, but like it was obviously very unclear as to like, is this exemption okay? Who gave the visa? Like this kind of stuff. There's also a lack of clarity as to like, was he trying to break the rules? Um, You know, because there's a lot of money riding. Um, there's there's an issue around like are these exemptions given to rich and famous people because governments and private organizations a want to make money uh b want to like keep the economy going for lack of a better you know lack of a more specific statement there's like that's a lot of messiness yeah but in terms of like what he experienced like to me i guess like what do you disagree with when I say like this was an example of like the system working? Like there was confusion, it got resolved. And it got resolved pretty fast within like a couple of weeks. Right. So like There's... and then people talk about it and people always talk about things and make them crazy. But like ignoring how people are screaming on the outside, what's your issue with like what happened? N- Oh no! I, I, what you just said. There's not much I disagree, or there's really nothing I disagree with. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just, I guess, I just hate, and it is mostly like online chatter. It's not really how the news reports of besides opinion pieces. Is that everything is so wrapped in into vaccine politics, and like it's jumped on in that way, and and I think like we like it just makes us lose 
side of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually like, yeah, it just warps us into the vaccine hall. And, yeah. And then and I think it's. Well, I would argue uh, like the debate itself, like in terms of the way you, you were talking about being like upset about the discussion, yeah. the discussion itself is its own gravitational well, right? Like yeah. you get caught up in the, in the, the reaction that the discussion has of what you're seeing that the algorithm's showing you. Right. right. Um, and then, and then that colors how you think about the, the thing is again, because you're now responding to what the algorithm's shown you as a reaction to the thing. Yeah. So even you can't, um, have an opinion that's not uh, biased by what the algorithm's showing right. you as as what the discussion is. Because depending on what the algorithm is for you or someone else, you might see it's a very clear one-sided discussion. Everyone thinks this is good, or, or it's very clear everyone thinks this is bad. Or if, if you use um, social media or if you go online in a certain way, you might find both sides. Um, but... I think we both agree that there's more than just two sides. It's more than just this binary opposition. Yeah. And it's much more complicated than just turning everything into one. You know, using It's like Nigel Farage, right? Using this as an, as an opportunity to say, oh, it's a story. People are listening. I can actually uh, get a point for immigration, brand point, yeah. a brand point, when everyone thinks I'm anti-immigrant. But I'll use this as an example to, be, to say some pro-immigrant rhetoric. Um, which is just for branding and rhetoric. Like, branding. Yeah. And I think a lot of these anti-vax voices, whether they're a, an angry person on Twitter or whether it's Fox News or whatever, the Daily Mail, like this is just, oh, this is an opportunity for us to further our agenda of pro or anti-vax, pro or anti-government, pro or anti-whatever. And, and that's where I think the right is smart because they, I, maybe I'm wrong and maybe it's, as you said, my... um. The algorithm. The algorithm. But I think the right knows the left is going to be pissed that this anti-vax guy is getting in it into Australia. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to use that to make the pro-vaccine movement seem unsympathetic and jump on that to be like, look, we're the good guys. We care about people. And it's right. also part of my fear is that if 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 the pro-vax and like left-wing movements gets too wrapped in a vaccine movement, they they give these windows to make us look completely unsympathetic towards other causes, and I and I get myself caught into that towards the unvaccinated. I'm mm. guilty. Like there's actually very good reasons people aren't getting vaccinated. For sure, Djokovic isn't part of this discussion, but like people, you know, there's Tuskegee and like Native people who got fucking blankets filled with diseases who of course wouldn't trust it but well, i more recently like black americans were given uh stis and tested yeah. on and it happens constantly all the time and there's, i lose there's a lot of reason to not trust there's there's i guess the way to say this is like we can sympathize why certain groups or individuals would not trust uh government institutions would not trust health institutions or um health ministries or Right, like that makes sense, and the we, right, agree, we can understand and sympathize with that. And and the rights using this now to try to get into the slightly, ridiculously, absurdly get into the. And I think that it's kind of an interesting thing with this Djokovic case. Well, let's um, let's keep. I think it's a great like. I love case studies. I hate 
I never got into law like a lot yeah. of my friends. Um, but the good, there are some good things with law, such as case studies. Uh, and let's use continue using this as a case study. Um, I think it's really interesting because we've kind of established he's a leader in his field. He's also interesting because he's a leader in his field of a, of a single player sport. It's not a team sport. Right. For the most part, there's doubles, but that's less known. Right, there's it's doubles, but like, do minor. we have do we have top people who are tennis players that never play singles? No, right. So like, yeah. you have to be good as a single player to play doubles, right? So like, it's you're. You... Oh no, there's double specialists. Sorry. Okay, there are double okay. specialists are not world celebrities. Is what okay, I meant okay, to say. Okay, okay, good point. Okay, that's what I meant. So that's fair, um, but we do have a sport where like the top players in this sport play by themselves, and uh, as and like you can look at even team sports like uh, basketball is very much like individual focused, right? There's, um, as lots of player people have mentioned, um, Bill Simmons talks about it a lot, where like basketball players aren't wearing masks. They're really close to the to the audience or the, the fans. Um, they're wearing like the least amount of clothing in many ways of like a lot of different sports, uh, especially the top sports in um, America, right? So, uh, uh, and the fact that a single player on a five-player team in basketball can affect the outcome of a game much more than a single player in baseball or a single player in football. Yep. Not to say that a single player can't in those sports, but they have a bigger impact. Of course. Um, and so in tennis, we have this guy who's one of the top players in the world, and the story happens to him. Therefore, it's a bit of a story, obviously. But to kind of look at it from a different angle, ask you a question, like what do you think about exempting individuals, and then we can even expand this out to like organizations like teams or, uh, or workers um, for things like COVID? So are you talking about like healthcare worker or well, can we be more so specific? So let's, let's start... Let's start with, I think sports is a really interesting example okay. because sports is, I'm, I don't know how, to, so sports has no direct impact on the pandemic. I think we can agree on that, right? A sports player directly doesn't impact the course of the pandemic. Right. They're not going to help or hinder it necessarily. The player, right? Uh, the act of a player playing for 50,000 fans might impact the pandemic if those fans are all in the same space unmasked. Uh, it's happened. But um, a single player, Djokovic, playing a tennis game, he's not going to help the pandemic. He's not going to hurt the pandemic necessarily. He's just a player, right? But the fact that he's super famous, he's playing for this big uh, Australian Open, this is, um, which, you know... And we could argue about whether any of this actually matters. Like, as you said before, it's an, it's an economic issue, kind of. And it's a cultural issue, kind of, right? And also the idea that, like, well, the people who do, who are on the front lines of, of, of the pandemic, they also need time to relax or they need things in their life that isn't just constant stress, right? And arguably things like entertainment and sports help that, right? Mm -hmm. So for people, let's focus on, like, sports and even... I'll, I'll expand it as far as entertainment. So like, like movies and theater. And sort of theater. And so like movie stars who are going, because movies have not shut down just no. as sports. Actually, movies 
I think shut down for less time than professional sports did with the pandemic. Yeah. Where for the most part films have continued. Not all of them, but like filming has continued around the world and in Hollywood. Um so what do you think about like these exemptions that Canada was giving exemptions to players to come in um and play in the NBA and the NFL or the NA- or so the N- the NHL? Um, and I think they've changed those rules now potentially. Um, but like, what do you think about these exemptions where we have these rules for everyone? Everyone has to be vaccinated or everyone has to follow these rules, except if you're coming to film a movie or except if you're coming to play a sports game for millions of dollars. Like, what do you think about these exemptions when it comes to how it applies to larger, like, is that fair? So it's a complicated story in a sense, right? Because (laughs) these organizations, in regards to employing many minimum minimum wage workers, right? The people who hand out popcorn and drinks and all that. But we'll we'll start with that, the athletes. So, you know, it's, it's again, it's kind of interesting when you... Oh, try not to hold it just so that we don't get... When you put it, what's happening in Ontario... Mm-hmm. Right, you have these multi-million-dollar athletes playing, mm-hmm. and you have literally cancer surgeries being canceled yep. in school and gyms being closed. Gyms being closed, and which is a good. I think it's a good comparison because you have like athletes playing sports, but then like amateurs playing sports are not allowed. Well, some there's also like uh, minor league sports being allowed, but yeah, there's like right. You know, the, the rules are complicated. But am I allowed to play a sport with my buddies no. in the gym? No. Essentially not. Because we're not good enough. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, again, I think most decisions, as we d- discussed, come down to, you know, I, I tend to root it in an economic. The economic will tend to override the uh, health and safety, and it, I tend to be against that um, because – why should the rich and powerful have more of a benefit than... What's the point of power if you can't use it? (laughs) Right, (laughs) than minimum wage workers. I mean, you talk about your cousin who's a small business owner struggling Mm -hmm. at times to get by, especially... I mean, he's doing fairly well considering, but a lot of restaurants But especially in in winter right now, there's like not a lot of business and these millionaire athletes who could definitely afford to take a few seasons off and the billionaire owners could afford to lose a few million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, of it, course, once again, and I just to go to the other side, like athletes, a few years and they're out of their prime, they, right? Like, yeah, they and, really and there are them. a lot of famous stories of athletes going broke um, yep, very constantly. quickly, for yeah. sure. But it, it is, I think, it again, it speaks to these societal issues, and it's a, it's a good way of framing what is is valued in society but it is a bit more complicated because we could just look at the athletes or the minimum wage workers who work within these institutions Mm -hmm. but it's funny that the athletes are allowed to work Mm -hmm. and the minimum wage workers are out of work um yeah right and so again it's who's getting screwed and and i think at the end of the at the day, who's at the table with government, MLSE, or the guy selling popcorn? Maple Leaf Sports <laughs> Entertainment, MLSE. Yeah, yeah it's a, are they at the table with Doug Ford or the guy selling popcorn <laughs> to me and you? I mean, and yeah. so... Or even know. when they open, the, like, even sometimes they'll open, like, 
uh, theaters were opened or cinemas were opened recently. Uh, of course, they closed down for Omicron. Um, sports events were open for a while. I don't know if they were allowed food. But like in cinemas, you weren't allowed to eat. So even when they opened up, like the Raptors were allowed to play. Um, were there the same number of minimum wage workers even when they were allowed to play? Right? No. And, and when people were allowed to, people were allowed to get together into you know an arena, ten thousand people, but you weren't allowed to have a uh, hundred people in a theater, and or you th- weren't allowed, you know, just like the weirdness. and actors. Mm-hmm. It's again, let's. I tend to look at things from a more Marxist perspective. And actors, theaters closed. Mm-hmm. The movie theaters are open. Who gets paid more? L.A. actors or like yeah. poor, struggling Toronto theater actors who. Yeah have to compete to make a living and most have to work the second job as being waiters or waitresses or in retail or some other minimum wage job who's who's actually being closed down by the pandemic of course it's the workers struggling to make an acting career not the hollywood workers who are making film it is absurd right and and this is where i think a lot of the anti-vax people have a lot of legitimacy in some of their points 100 percent. you know like why is it fair i was saying early on like that you know, you can fly in a plane <laughs> in a small tube with uh, circulated air for six hours, 12 hours. Um, even going from coast to coast in Canada is like four hours or something flight. But you can't sit in a theater for two hours. You know, that was illegal. They, yeah. they shut down theaters. Or then they, they open cinemas, as you were just saying, but theaters are closed. Yeah, that's And it's like this, the same thing. You're just sitting in a room with a bunch of people where yeah. you're allowed to go to a... A sports event, but you're not allowed to go to a theater. Because who's at the table? Right. Who's at the table of government? And I guess at the end of the day, money is a big part about as well, right? You know, who's at the table and also how much money is coming in for these people and for the government. Because the government gets, you know, they get their tax on top of all of it. I think there is a legitimate, um, without being, because I'm, I do, we we both lean fairly, um, I hesitate to use the word Marxist these days because I just feel like it's getting so dated. And also because the right wing is using it as this slogan to attack things that we're not talking about when we say we're Marxist necessarily. But um, there is a legitimate point to say, like, if no one's making money and the government isn't getting any revenue, then how is the government supposed to be spending money? Um, it, it There is a concern for the government that they need to get revenue so that they can especially in canada like pay for healthcare services right yeah now i think both of us would argue that healthcare services are vastly underfunded in the country uh but but you can't just do it for free right people need to get paid who work in the uh and there's in there's in infrastructure costs and um material costs that you know even if everyone worked for free you still need to buy electricity you need to pay for heating you need to buy um, you know, IVs and syringes and bed sheets and just like there's just things that need to be purchased and and that's where the government has to be logical to a certain extent and say, well, we need money. So um, yeah, just to say that we're not just to kind of clarify that we're not like fully everything about money is horrible. And, like, no, no. Everything. And well, and let me be clear: the the question, the answer is I. I mean, basically, I support you know what are called circuit breakers or temporary lockdowns, like. Mm-hmm. W- when we need it much earlier, but I, 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 we need an equitable approach. And so when you ask me, should, uh, uh, you know, league shut down, um, 
Yeah, like I didn't really answer yes or no. My mm-hmm. answer was a bit more of a broader philosophical discussion. But yeah, a league should shut down and a lot of things should. But like we've had this discussion on COVID a lot. Like why are big box office, big box stores open and that sell groceries, but small stores that yeah. also sell groceries, may sell groceries, aren't. And, you know, there's, you know, and so the question is, how do we shut down and what is government's role in an equitable shutdown? Or do we need to fully shut down and what can and can't be open? Mm-hmm. And to me, when you're, it's who you're impacting, how you're impacting and how to minimize it. And so to me, if, you know, I don't know if we need to fully shut down, but the last things we should be shutting down are <laughs> the people that are the poorest and most negatively impacted, whether that's theater actors compared to Hollywood actors or, mm-hmm. as you said, minor league athletes who, you know, compared to million-dollar athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, th- this just came to mind. I hadn't you know. thought about this before now, but I think it'd be really interesting. I remember when the NBA shut down and then all the other leagues followed suit. Uh, we were still living together at the time. And that was a big impact to your life because not only were we all locked down at the very beginning of the lockdown, you know, when actually people stayed home as opposed to like, I feel like even though we're, I don't know, without, sorry, I'm stumbling into another thing. When we were forced to shut down and every, like there weren't cars on the road, you know, back in April, 2020 or whatever, and there wasn't any sports being played anywhere. Uh, it was a really big deal for you because you love watching sports. And I, I'm only bringing that up because I think there's a lot of people in the world who get a lot of um, pleasure out of watching sports and like a lot of real world value to their mental health watching sports. And that's, I think, the argument that a lot of these major leagues uh, use and cinemas, you know, is to say like, well, you know, we're valuable. Without us, people, you know, are just going to live worse lives or it's going to affect their mental health. What just came to mind is like, what if you would shut down these national scale leagues, but encouraged local amateur leagues? Would you, as a sports player, have watched like the um, the Toronto Maple Leaf amateur uh, baseball team if the MLB had been shut down? Would you have and like and let's say Rogers TV had aired some AAA or some, you know, like even just uh, rec league style sports, would you have been willing to start watching that stuff if the larger scale had been shut down? Or are you kind of at a point where if it's not a high enough level of play, you would just like not worth it? I tend to not watch minor league sports much um, to be, I mean, direct, but Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it's like this whole mental health thing, but... I mean, it, it, it kind of slightly rings hollow in the sense that they shut down tennis courts, yeah, which is like Two literally standing five meters apart. Five meters away, <laughs> you could wear a glove and hold the racket, so your hand is never making direct yeah. contact. There are many things you could do, yeah, and yet baseball and hockey where there's direct contact mm-hmm. you're standing on first base on top of someone yeah is going on and so you know it is again it, as we talked about the, 
the logic just simply isn't there, which I think gives fuel to the anti-vax movement, A. And B, it's like... The the tools aren't matching the the goal. If the goal is mental mm-hmm. health, then let's open up like physical activity that's safe. There's mm-hmm. a lot of it: tennis, badminton, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of sports. Catch is like there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> running. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, you could set up gyms in a way like you could have shifts like there's creative outdoor gyms in the summer there's yeah um but i think you know and this is where i talk about an equitable approach it's just that you know it's and my problem is these i think (laughs) my problem is with sports it's that it's this pseudo progressivism and tennis is you know, actually, what to turn it back to tennis? The one yeah. issue tennis has been really good at, and what where, where why I really don't like the ATP to bring a kind of back full circle to Djokovic. ATP it, is the Men's Tennis Association. Okay, is it seems like they've given up on even, or maybe you could respect it. <laughs> they don't even try. They've given up on even pretending to care about the decency of <laughs> being for anything cute for anything progressive okay on i don't know if you know the Peng shui situation no but i was gonna get into pseudo human rights but the wta at least is that's the women's tennis yeah okay. is grilling china because she disappeared and she you know right. and now that there's pictures of her all happy in china yeah, and that's happened to a lot of people in China, and it's only when it's famous people that it becomes world news. But yeah. the WTA says that we're never playing a tournament again in China. Wow. And that's multi-million. So they're literally putting their pockets on the line. Pocketbooks. Pocketbooks. Yeah. Yeah. Sponsorships. The tournament's gone. Yeah. NBA refused to do that. NBA refused. Yeah. And the men's aren't supporting the women's tour. They're going to play there. <laughs> right? <laughs> they granted a Djokovic an exemption. Like, right. Right? So it's interesting the parallels between politics well, and sports. And I don't know about women's tennis, but I know that when you look at women's leagues in comparison to men leagues in other sports, the women's leagues have so much less money that arguably because it's not as much of a billionaire organization that the money therefore doesn't influence them as much, right? Money talks, right? And when you have a multi-billion dollar league and uh, the China market offers $20 billion revenue or whatever it is, I'm just making numbers up, um, that's hard to say no to. When you're a women's league and you're playing with like a fraction of those numbers, uh, and you're saying, okay, well, maybe we can make a few million. It's like, well, it's easier to maybe say no. I'm just throwing things well, out here. But even look at the NBA over their pseudo-progressivism versus the WNBA around um, the Black Lives Matter. The NBA mm-hmm. limited what you could put on shirts. Yeah. The WNBA literally kicked out a co-owner. <laughs> like yeah. They literally told her... It was um what was her name? She's a senator in Georgia. Yeah, I'm yeah. completely Who blanking. Was a of the team. Yeah, they said get out. The, her players told her to get out. That WNBA didn't interfere. <laughs> the NBA definitely would have interfered. Yeah, 
but and none of those women like like to, and and just, they wore yeah. shirts telling Saying the WNBA like to fire her. Yeah, and the WNBA didn't do anything. But that's the thing. Like like I remember when I when that NBA China fiasco happened. Like I was super losing my mind, and you see people like LeBron James who stands up for a lot of issues, but was notably extremely silent. Uh, as was the NBA on Chinese human rights issues. And a lot of people in the friend group and on the Annex chat network were kind of saying like, well, you know, LeBron could stand to personally lose how many tens of hundreds or hundreds of millions of dollars if uh, China backs out, Uh, not just from his NBA salary, but also like sponsorships he has with Chinese um, organizations. How many of these women stand to lose sponsorship millions of dollars because they kick out an owner right and i think so not to say that that the money is the only reason but to say like the fact that there is more there are more stakeholders and more money being involved makes it harder potentially for these men to stand up for their rights than for the women who aren't necessarily risking hundreds of millions of dollars uh to to make a stand yeah um and then even the NBA yeah. with vaccinations, like I'm gonna tie this all in. Yeah, Kyrie Irving's back in the NBA. The NBA That's c- absurd. The NBA could have stepped in. They could have implemented rules with well, they, the they NBA refused, PA yeah. or negotiate and said anyone who's not vaccinated can't play as a. They could have put in a, a vaccination mandate. So Same with yeah. the ATP. I the ATP yeah. could have put in a hard. Well, I think I think and Djokovic could not be allowed on a tour until he's vaccinated. The NBA and the NBA PA is a very interesting. The NBA, I think it's very interesting because, also, from a Marxist perspective, right? The Na- the National Basketball Players Association, uh, they are a very strong union, and yeah, they represent you, their workers, which you should support. Yeah, which as a Marxist, right, or as someone who leans towards that uh, workers' rights, like. And if the workers, and that's actually a lot of the reasons why you have like the TTC Toronto um, Public Transit Union uh, and truckers unions in Canada, and whether there are these government enforced mandates or union enforced mandates or not, and a lot of these unions are pushing back. And this is where this is an interesting point as well. Is like our unions who are fighting for their workers, and if if their workers don't want to get vaccinated, enough of them. Uh, don't do they have a, a obligation to fight for those workers, right? In the face of something like a pandemic, and and also we're constantly specifically talking about the pandemic, right? We're not talking about an abstract perspective. We're talking about an infectious virus that is overloading our health systems. Like just to reclarify the the case that we're speaking around, we're not talking about if workers were to come together and say, well, we don't think women should be working for us. Does the union have an obligation to support those beliefs? We're saying these workers specifically say, we don't want to get vaccinated from an infectious disease. That is just to kind of right. focus our discussion. Right. Um, because with the NBA, they, did, they didn't enforce a vaccine mandate. Now, states have enforced vaccine mandates. Um, the people who own the sports arenas or the cities have enforced vaccine mandates or certain mandates, but the NBA itself has not. And largely, if not exclusively, uh, or at least they're blaming the Players Association, who is supporting some of their members who don't want to get vaccinated. Kyrie Irving being one of the most vocal and uh, famous members. Yeah, 
And Chris Paul, who's the head, doesn't support a mandate. LeBron says it's up to the player. And I mean, you mm-hmm. hear this uh, this whole debate, if you follow it along tennis circles, it's mm-hmm. the same debate. Nadal says, you know what, there's rules in place in a country. Mm-hmm. Djokovic knew it. He should have got vaccinated. Right. It's, it'll still be a great tournament. Let's move on. Right. There's other players who say, well, it's up to the player. He had an exemption. You know, mm-hmm. this is bullshit, um, essentially. Tough. And so these debates will continue around. Should a player have to, you know, should mandates be around? Should they have to follow the rules? And I think at the end of the day, yeah, it's a tough choice because, you know, players and associations usually advocate for their work. But, well, you eventually know. Eventually becomes every, like, like uh, this is a great example because eventually this question applies to every workplace. But right? I, I and every th- worker, eventually the question is, does every worker have the right to choose whether to get vaccinated? Does every workplace have the right to enforce but I, that? I think it ties outside the pandemic because it, it goes to these arguments employers make. Every worker can, deny, you know, they, as long as they know there's a dangerous chemical, you know, if the majority want to work here, they want to work here. Right. right. And and my problem with any sorts of arguments that aren't based in health and safety. Yeah. Well, it's the argument against a minimum wage, right? It's like, look, if a work like a job can can charge whatever they want. And if people want to work for zero dollars or for five cents an hour, that's the worker's choice. And I think I think we both agree like that argument against the minimum wage ignores a lot of evidence. Uh that like, well, there's like a coercive impact that that workplaces can have into what they offer in terms of employment. Um, there's the fact that like historically, when gov- when workplaces aren't required to pay a minimum wage, they pay less. But yeah, <laughs> like that's just what happens. And my point is, it shouldn't be what the majority of the union shouldn't always go what the majority or associations. It shouldn't always be what the majority of workers are because A, as you said, employers coerce workers mm-hmm. into that. And B, health and safety isn't a, about an opinion thing. Like, to me, that's a science thing. Like, chemicals are dangerous. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter what the majority of workers are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. spreading disease to workers is well, smoking and is dangerous. A and it's a, yeah. It, yeah, and it's a, it's a, and to me, this is such a bigger issue than COVID because, like, before there was a good example of asbestos. Every place mm-hmm. had asbestos, and most workers probably, if unions asked their workers, "Do you care?" Do, do you care? Mm-hmm. They'd say no. And based on that, mm-hmm. then workers shouldn't fight for asbestos because that's what the majority yeah. of their workers fought. Um, you know, often I agree with majority rules, and unions represent their workers. But I think there's some cases you need to fight for the health and safety of your workers and and evidence and research and science as opposed to just prevailing belief yeah right because uh if you believe in in that sort of thing and uh, yeah but again it be, it's a power analysis because unions are elected so of course yeah. everyone union leader 
is afraid they won't get elected if they go against the majority of their right. workers. I think smoking <laughs> is a good example, like because yeah. because smoking is also an example of like it used to be that you could smoke anywhere, and then it was like, well, you can't smoke in these areas because it affects other people, and then it was like, well, you can't, and then like the areas you're allowed to smoke in got more and more restricted, and I think a lot of the argument that smokers used. Uh, and the argument around pro or anti-smoking laws is very similar in a weird way to the vaccination masking laws of like, well, like, I'm not hurting anyone when I don't get vaccinated. And it's like, I'm not hurting anyone when I smoke. And then it's like, well, secondhand smoke became, I- an, became a thing. And, like, and then there's a lot of science for and against the evidence of secondhand smoke. I'm not going to get into that debate. But um, there's also evidence around, well, if you aren't vaccinated and you get infected then you can infect other people. Of course, the counter to that is if you are if you are vaccinated, you can also get other people infected, right? Like, just to say, like, there's these two sides, and it's like, well, I'm knowingly putting myself at risk by not vaccinating myself, therefore, you shouldn't tell me what I should do. And it just occurred to me that there's a lot of similarity to saying, look, I'm smoking, I know that it's going to hurt me long term, but how how dare you tell me I'm not allowed to smoke after my meal at the, at the dinner table in, in yeah. a restaurant? And we've now established in our country, you're not allowed to do that. You can't smoke in a restaurant. But yeah. even 30 years ago, you could, right? And I guarantee you that those smoking laws were not popular among workers. And yeah, probably uh, and, a lot of the same And people. unions were resistant to them. Yeah. And I sure. am so pro-union, but sometimes, you know, common sense or health and safety just has to prevail. Well, at the end of the day, unions are just institutions themselves and they they fall under the same weaknesses and and issues that all institutions and organizations have um which is like you were saying uh individuals wanting to be reelected, um you know money and power and all those issues and lack of clarity and bureaucracy and all that stuff like unions are just as can be just as flawed as any other institution but i think we both agree like that unions being organizations that are meant to represent the interests of the workers is something we agree and uh, agree with and, and think is an important issue. I think what you're also flagging is that interest of workers is not always what the workers say they want, which is that weird thing of, and a, th- a lot, of, and this is where a lot of people will scream at us and say like, well, like how dare you tell me what I want or how dare you tell me what is best for me? And that comes down to individual freedom, which is this very American thing, right? Like if I want to shoot myself in the face, how dare you tell me I'm not allowed to shoot myself in the face. And Mm -hmm. if shooting myself in the face is what if like, how, how far can I take that? Can I turn that down in extremity before I am allowed to do it? Right. Right. Am I allowed to smoke a pack a day and die of lung cancer? Like, well, yeah, but as long as you're not in front of me, right? Like, there's where's the line where I'm allowed to hurt myself or put myself at risk? Right. Um, but, and I think this is where Canada's rules, uh, Charter of Rights, is actually a bit more... Um, uh, it's a bit different than America's because America has a lot of, like, very hard rules around constitutional rights. And Canadians, it's it's kind of like you're allowed to do what you want as long as you don't impinge on other people's. So there is a lot more freedom to do your own thing in Canada Can, yeah, uh, I, than in America where they can just kind of say hard line. And Canada's is more contextual. like That's what I'm trying to say. E- yeah. yeah, even the right are mandatory 
you know, mandatory vaccines depend on the workplace. As we've researched over debates, that mm-hmm. every judge will rule differently depending on the workplace. Can you work from home? You yeah. you can't mandate vaccines if they can work from home. Yeah. Um, right Context itself. is key, right? And, I think and that's in America, the, yeah. it's much less. It's it's right. much harder. Like I, the freedom of speech in America is kind of immutable. Yeah. And in Canada, it has to do with how much you're impinging on other people's freedoms. Yeah, it's very contextual. Yeah, so it's that. never uh, universal in the same way that a lot of the American constitutional yeah. rights are. I You make a, I was going to say an interesting point about, about the workers, because tennis is interesting in that point um just because they're also often talked about as a common group mm. a common interest when you're talking about interest These players and yeah. i think to tie it just again like try to bring Djokovic, Djokovic yeah. and unions especially it's it's a hard thing because what's happening in the atp is now a subgroup has started their own association led by Djokovic. <laughs> Right. Oh. So there's like Federer and Nadal versus Djokovic, two very different visions mm. of kind of what tennis should look like. Mm-hmm. And there's a Canadian on Djokovic's side. They're the president and co-president. I forget what the new association is. Mm. Um, and like Federer and Nadal very much have kind of been a bit more spoken in favor of kind of letting the process play out in Australia and not as supportive of Djokovic besides saying it's a distraction, which of course it is, but generally saying, you know, the rules are the rules, let the legal process play out. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and France recently has said that, like, Djokovic is not going to be playing in the French Open. It's just, it's it's a very interesting time in tennis because you have the Mm -hmm. split of players Half have signed up, or maybe less than half, for this association, and the other half want to stay with what's called the ATP. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And I don't know much about the new association besides Djokovic has a radically different idea of okay. what he feels. And I'm hopefully we can touch on that next time we talk. Hopefully, yeah. we maybe do a little bit of research and come back to it as but like, like an update. He's definitely just a polarizing figure, even in yeah. the tennis world. Like, Clearly no one, you said you don't like him, yeah. No, but no one has like a, he's okay, he's fine, he's whatever. It's, it's one like, or the other. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I think we're about done. I mean, yeah. uh, the, um, we'll, we'll talk about it next time or maybe another time. Something that, in regarding unions, is something that is very interesting to me or is, is kind of infuriating in ways is around unions with... Um, uh, artists like performance artists specifically yeah I don't know anything um, about that it's a very interesting thing like uh, we can talk about it more later I'm just going to kind of set it up maybe for like okay. you know next time um, but it's the idea that you know the without before the performers unions um, the ACTRA and um, SAG and all this stuff actors were were overworked and underpaid and it was really bad Right, just for lack, just as a as a broad brush okay. yeah. statement. Um, so the union came in and it enforced, you know, like workers' rights and um, how much time off you can have in between massive days and how long a day can be and how much you get paid for that time. And you know, they set up a lot of really good stuff because the way that you, the way that it was working at the time was that um, MGM, for example, 
would buy an actor and say like you're going to be in 20 of my movies and like they just own the actor right and so the union came in and said like no this is not okay you can't just buy people like this um but where we live now uh, with with performers unions is for the most part actors are self-employed right they're just going contract to contract um now the union being a part of the union means that they're protected by um what the union has mandated for productions if a production is working with a union actor, they have to work under the union rules, which means they have to follow all the regulations the union set out. For the most part, that's great, conceptually. What this also sets up is it sets up productions that don't want to pay for all this uh, red tape and paperwork for the union, so they end up working with non-union performers. Right. Uh, and then those union, those non-union productions are not protected by the union. Um, and... Because there's so much competition in the field, um, there gets to be this weird thing where a lot of performers can get more work non-union than when they first become unionized. Because all of a sudden, all these jobs you're getting that are non-union commercial works or non-union gigs, you suddenly become union. You're no longer eligible. This is mostly in Canada more than America, because in America you're allowed to exempt yourself. But in Canada you're not. So all of a sudden... Let's say I'm getting a lot of work as a non-union actor. Then I join the union. Now I'm not allowed to do non-union work. Right. Um, so I'm not allowed to get paid below my union minimum, which is kind of oh. good. But it also means I'm all of a sudden out of work. Right. Interesting. Now, the weird thing, now this would kind of be okay, except for the fact that the union doesn't accept anyone. Oh, Right. If the union said anyone who wants to be an actor, you can be an actor, pay your dues. You're in the union. Easy yeah. peasy. OK, fine. The union's protecting all performers. But the union says you can only be an actor if you've done this many union gigs. Right. Which it- so a lot of people like the, the as you said, like the poorest and the most desperate performers are non-union. Uh, they're not allowed to join the union, which means they're not allowed to be protected by the union. Oh, shit. And then if you get slightly above that level, you've joined the union, now you're not allowed to do the non-union work, and yet you're not necessarily getting union work. Right. So now you're trapped into this position where if you want to stay protected by the union, you have to reject other work. Right. You're, you're caught in the middle. So you're kind of caught in the middle. So in in a way, the union is protecting workers, but it's deciding who it's protecting. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, you end up with a union de facto protecting the more successful members of its membership. It's like, yeah. It's, it's, and it's it's tough because, you know, unions kind of started with like steel workers and like miners. And it's clear who's a miner or not. Right. But it's a lot less clear who's an actor or not when you only have one gig a year. Maybe. Are you allowed to be a member of the union if you only done two commercials in your life? Yeah. Um, or whatever, right? It becomes a lot more complicated in those uh, areas. And that's where I, setting that up, because I just think it, it, it gets more complex, but it also gets infuriating because you have this union, quote unquote, that is de facto ignoring a huge majority of people who are workers. Yeah, no, it's a um, problem. And, and then you have a whole industry that kind of relies on the fact that there are non-unionized workers. Yeah. Because of these non-unionized productions. And arguably from the other side, as someone who's producing my own work, um, doing a job that's union 
can cost thousands of dollars more without even blinking than a little independent non-union gig. So there's, there is a clear reason why uh, a government or not a government, uh, an, a business, a producer, yeah. a producer would say, I can't afford this. I'm just trying to do a little like, you know, small commercial for my uh, used car dealership. I only have a few hundred dollars and I can't pay for the $5,000 of insurance and minimum fees and, and paperwork fees and all this stuff to do a union commercial. So, of course, I'm just going to do non-union. Right. They don't have carve-outs. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. But then, of course, what it... So, there's... there's I want to be uh, sympathetic to, not, to produ- small producers. Of course. But then what we see in Canada specifically is we see a lot of... Um, a lot of large organizations like banks, universities, massive um, national and international food chains that do non-union commercials, even though they're netting oh, hundreds shit, of millions of dollars of profit in a year. Yeah. So Tim Hortons will pay an actor $1,000 to do a national TV commercial. Or Bank of Montreal will offer an actor $1,500 buyout, no residuals, to do a day of work, right? So, whereas in America, that would be unionized and you'd be paid $50,000. Right. Right? So, it's just the whole inst- the whole uh, economy or the whole industry is kind of messed yeah, up. Yeah, the scale is messed. Yeah, yeah and, and there's, a, there's a lot we could get into, and, and obviously that's not what we, what we focused on. I think maybe next time we can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, it sounds interesting. Um, and about... Yeah, I think unions is a cool topic we can bring to next time. Thank you. This was a massively long discussion, <laughs> um, but I think I think we were able to get f- a lot further than we would have if it was just over text. Of course, um, no, it's and good. avoid a lot of like uh, getting angry at each other for for nothing. Yeah, it's um, no, interesting. This is a great start. Hopefully, you'll join me next week. And yeah, we'll do a lot more of these. Um, where we can talk about like the topic of the week or you know, try to stay on top of things. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you, Zach. My pleasure. Oh, shit. It's 2.20. Oh, wow. (laughs) We crushed it.